Section 63 of The Mysteries of London, Volume 3. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Gillian Hendry. The Mysteries of London, Volume 3, by George W. M. Reynolds. Section 63. Captain O'Blunderbuss. Captain O'Blunderbuss was a gentleman of Irish extraction, and according to his own account, possessed of vast estates in the Emerald Island. But it was evident to all his friends that the rents were very irregularly paid, inasmuch as their gallant proprietor was frequently under the necessity of soliciting the loan of a guinea, and when he could not obtain that sum, his demand would suddenly drop to half a crown, or even eighteen pence. But whenever the captain talked of his estates, no one ventured to suggest a doubt relative to their existence, for the gallant officer was a notorious duellist, having been engaged as principal in thirty-seven of those pleasant little contests, and as second in ninety-two more. He was about forty-five years of age, and of exceedingly fierce appearance, his crown was entirely bald, but huge bushes of red hair stuck out between his temples and his ears, enormous whiskers of the same meteoric hue and portent covered half his face, and a formidable pair of moustaches, red also, curled ominously over his upper lip, the ends being twisted and greased, so as to look like two small tails. In person he was tall, thin, but not ill-made. He held himself particularly upright, and as he wore a military undress coat, all frogged and braided in the Polish fashion, and grey trousers with red stripes down the legs, he really looked like what he called himself, and was called by others, namely a captain. But he was not wont to be more explicit relative to his military services than he was definite concerning the locality of his estates. No one knew, and assuredly no one ever ventured to ask him, to what regiment he had belonged. He stated himself to be unattached, and that was sufficient. We should, as faithful chroniclers, observe that it had been whispered, but then scandal is so rife in this wicked world, that Captain O'Blunderbuss was never in the army at all, and that his formidable name was merely an assumed one, and the newsmongers, who propagated these reports behind the gallant gentleman's back, not only ridiculed the idea of his estates, but actually carried their malignant spite so far as to insinuate that he was once the driver of a jaunting car in Dublin, and at that period bore the name of Teddy O'Flaherty. Be all this as it may, it is nevertheless very certain that Captain O'Blunderbuss was a great man about town, that he was nodded to by loungers in the park, shaken hands with by dandies in Bond Street, and invariably chosen as a second in every duel that took place on Wormwood Scrubs, Wimbledon Common, or Battersea Fields. Such was the terrible individual who was standing on the rug, in a most ferocious attitude, when Sir Christopher Blunt entered the drawing-room. The captain desisted from twirling his moustaches, 
and indulged in a good long stare at the knight, whose half-ludicrous, half-doleful appearance was certainly remarkable enough to attract an unusual degree of attention. "'You received my card, Sir Christopher Blunt,' said the captain, speaking in a strong Irish accent, and rattling the R in a truly menacing manner. "'Yes, sir, I received the card of Captain Blunderbuss,' replied Sir Christopher, not knowing what to think or make of his strange visitor. "'And sure I'm Captain Blunderbuss,' exclaimed the military gentleman, twirling his moustache, "'and I've come on the part of my friend Captain Mortant, "'an honourable man, Sir Christopher Blunt,' added the gentleman emphatically, "'looking awfully fierce at the same time, "'just as if the unfortunate knight entertained the idea "'of questioning the honour of Captain Mordaunt.' "'I've no doubt of it, sir,' stammered the intimidated Blunt, "'looking more wretched in proportion as the tone of his visitor became more excited.' "'By the powers, I'm glad you don't doubt it,' cried the captain, "'or you'd find yourself deceived in your man. "'Well, Sir Christopher, the short and the long of the affair is just this. "'My friend Captain Mordaunt feels himself aggrieved on behalf of his sister, "'and he's put the little business into my hands to manage for him.' "'I'm convinced that Captain Mordaunt could not have chosen a better friend.' "'Captain O'Blunderbuss,' said the knight, scarcely able to utter a word, so sorely was he oppressed by vague alarms. "'But I hope, that is, I mean, I, in a word—what do you mean?' demanded the captain, advancing a pace or two towards the knight. "'Oh, nothing, only—' stammered Sir Christopher, dodging round the table for fear that the formidable O'Blunderbuss intended an attack upon him. "'Only what, man?' vociferated the captain. "'Sure now, you don't think I'm after eating ye up?' "'No, oh no, I'm not afraid of any gentleman eating me exactly,' observed Sir Christopher. "'But if you would state the object of your visit—' "'Be Jesus, and that's soon done,' exclaimed Captain O'Blunderbuss. "'The short facts is these. "'Captain Mordhunt is mightily attached to his sister, Miss Julia.' who's a most amiable lady, for I've just been breakfasting with her and her brother in their lodgings in Half Moon Street. Miss Morhunt, as perhaps you are aware, returned home to her father's mansion, a sweet place, by the by, in Connemara, when you deceived her in the most gross, the most infamous manner, by running away with a lady's maid instead of her dear self. "'Captain O'Blunderbuss,' said Sir Christopher, "'she of whom you speak is now Lady Blunt.' "'And much good may she do ye, Sir Christopher,' exclaimed the captain. "'But, as I was saying, Miss Morhunt comes back to London again, "'smarting under the influence of her wrongs, "'which her brother has resolved to avenge. "'And therefore, Sir Christopher, you'll be so good as just to say "'whether it shall be on Wormwood Scrubs, or Wimbledon Common, and will be there punctual to-morrow morning at eight o'clock. The worthy knight looked perfectly aghast. He began to understand the real drift of Captain O'Blunderbuss's visit, and he entertained the most unmitigated abhorrence 
of the mere idea of a duel. "'Well, Sir Christopher, say the word,' resumed the gallant gentleman, with as much unconcern as if he were making arrangements for a party of pleasure. "'But perhaps you'd like to consult a friend, or refer me to him. That's the best way. Leave it to your friend and me, and we'll settle everything so comfortable that you'll not have the least trouble in the world. You can get your breakfast a trifle earlier than usual.' "'Breakfast!' echoed Sir Christopher in a deep sepulchral tone. "'Breakfast, when one is going out to be shot at!' "'Be the powers, and why not?' demanded the warlike captain. "'But here we are, wasting our precious time, while we ought to be settling the little business and trying the pistols at the gallery.' "'The pistols!' groaned Sir Christopher, his visage lengthening most awfully, and his underjaw completely dropping through intense alarm. "'Be Jesus, and what would you fight with if it isn't pistols?' cried the captain. "'But pistols, pistols are so apt to, to, to kill people,' observed the knight, shaking from head to foot. "'Is it afraid you are?' demanded Captain O'Blunderbuss, twirling his moustache as he surveyed Sir Christopher with cool contempt. "'I do not admit such an imputation,' answered the knight. "'But I will not fight with this madcap mordant. "'The law shall be my protection. "'I am my own master. "'I married whom I chose, "'and I will not be bullied by any man living.' "'The astonishment depicted on the countenance of Captain O'Blunderbuss, "'as these words met his ears, "'was mistaken by the knight for a feeling of apprehension, "'and thus he had grown bold.' or at least energetic in his language, as he had proceeded. "'Yes, sir,' he added emphatically, "'the law shall protect me.' "'Is it shirkin that ye mean?' asked the captain. "'Because if it is, I shall feel myself bound to administer a decent drubbing to you, Sir Christopher. Why, sir, it's a real insult to me to refuse to fight with my friend.' And as he uttered these words, the captain advanced in a menacing fashion towards the knight. "'Keep off, sir! Don't attempt violence against me!' exclaimed Sir Christopher Blunt, rushing towards the fireplace to seize the poker. "'I'll not stand it, Captain O'Blunderbuss. I have been a sheriff in my time. I once put up for the port soaking, and I'll not submit to any insult.' "'Then name your friend, sir,' thundered the gallant officer, or I'll not lave a whole bone on your skin. Well, I will, I will, ejaculated Sir Christopher, anxious to get rid of this fire-eating visitor on any terms. Go to my nephew, Mr. Frank Curtis. He has killed his man often enough, according to his own account. Be the powers, that just suits me to a day, exclaimed the captain or maybe he and me could just amuse ourselves with an exchange of shots after you and my friend Mortant have settled your own small trifle. T'would be a perfect godsend to me, and I've no doubt your nevy will be of the same mind. Where does he hang out? Sir Christopher hastily mentioned the address of Mr. Frank Curtis, and Captain O'Blunderbuss stopped away hugely delighted at the idea of being about to form the acquaintance 
of a gentleman every way so worthy of his friendship as the knight's nephew appeared to be fierce indeed was the aspect of captain o'blunderbuss as he marched through the streets to the address indicated by the knight and to the great joy of the military gentleman he found on his arrival that mr frank curtis was at home but he's not up yet sir said the spruce-looking tiger who opened the front door at which the captain had given one of his tremendous double knocks. "'Never mind, my boy,' exclaimed the visitor, in an awe-inspiring tone. "'Your master will be glad to see me, or I am mightily deceived.' "'What name shall I say, sir?' inquired the tiger. "'Faith, and I'll just take my name up along with me, my lad,' returned the captain. "'Which floor may it be now?' First floor, sir.' and the bedroom's at the back. Pichases, you're a smart lad, and a credit to your master, exclaimed the captain. The next time I come, I'll make ye a present of sixpence. And with these words, Captain O'Blunderbuss marched upstairs. On reaching the landing, he knocked at the back room door, with his fist, as if he were practising how to fell an ox and to this peremptory summons an invitation to come in was returned the captain accordingly stalked into the chamber where mr frank curtis was breakfasting in bed a table well spread being drawn up close by the side of his couch be jesus i knew you was a boy after my own heart ejaculated the captain as he caught sight of a bottle of whisky which stood near the teapot then, closing the door, he advanced up to the bed, and pulling off his buckskin glove, said, Mr. Curtis, here's my hand. Tip us yours, my boy, and let's know each other without any more potter. Mr. Frank Curtis accepted the proffered hand with delight, for the amiable deportment of the visitor now relieved his mind from the vague fears that had been excited in it by the unceremonious entry and ferocious appearance of the captain. "'And how are you, Mr. Curtis?' continued this gentleman, drawing a chair close to the bed, and depositing his gloves in his hat, and his hat on the table. "'Quite blooming, old fellow, thank ye,' returned Frank, to whom all this familiarity was by no means displeasing. "'But what will you take? Shall I ring for another cup and plate?' or will you take a dram of the whisky? "'The potheen, my boy, the potheen for me!' exclaimed the captain, grasping the bottle. "'You'll find it rather good, I fancy,' said Curtis. "'My friend, the Russian ambassador, sent it round last night with his best respects.' "'And my respects to him and to you both!' cried the captain. Then, having drained his glass, he drew a long breath and said, "'Be Jesus, that's some of the right sort!' "'Help yourself, then, old fellow,' said Frank, in as free and easy a manner as if he had known his visitor all his life. "'I can get plenty more where that came from. Old Brandyakuski, the Polish ambassador's butler, has had orders to give me the entire run of his master's cellar.' for me and his excellency are as thick as two thieves he is pestering me from morning to night to dine with him no wonder mr curtis interrupted the captain 
for you're the most agreeable gentleman I've the honour to be acquainted with. And what's your name, old boy? asked Frank, as he proceeded with his breakfast. Captain O'Blunderbuss, at your service, my dear friend, was the answer, while the individual who gave it helped himself to another glass of whisky, which was certainly the best that the Stilton cheese round the corner could supply. "'Delighted to form your acquaintance, Captain,' exclaimed Curtis, suddenly becoming a trifle less familiar, for the name was well known to him, in connection too with the notoriety of a duelist. "'And might I inquire what business—' "'Oh, we'll talk about that presently,' interrupted the Captain. "'Your uncle, Sir Christopher Blunt, recommended you to me in the strongest terms—' "'The most flattering terms, I may say.' "'Indeed!' ejaculated Mr. Curtis, with unfeigned surprise, for he had not seen nor spoken to the knight for some weeks. "'By the powers! He gave you a splendid character, Mr. Curtis,' cried Captain O'Blunderbuss. "'And it was quite longing to know you, I was. But we'll talk on business presently, and I'm in no hurry.' and we'll have a cosy chat first. Maybe my name is not altogether strange to you. By no means, answered Curtis, now thoroughly convinced that the object of his new friend's visit was altogether of an amicable character. I have heard of your renown, and I must say that I have envied it, but I've done a little in the same line myself, chiefly in France, though. I'll be bound, the name of the Marquis of Soupmaigre is not unknown to you. Yes, I've heard speak of it, returned the captain, helping himself to another glass of whisky. Well, the Duke and me fought with small swords for three hours one morning, continued Frank, and at length I managed to scratch the little finger of his left hand. In France, you know, a duel always ends when the first blood is drawn and so the Count flung away his sword, acknowledged that I'd beat him, and we've been bosom friends ever since. "'Give me your hand, my broth of a boy,' exclaimed the Captain. "'I was not deceived in you. You're as fine-spirited as your potteen. Why, be the powers, you're a confirmed duelist.' "'To be sure, and I have killed my man too,' responded Frank delighted to perceive that he had made a deep impression on his companion. There was the famous Spaniard, you know, what was his name again? Ah, uh, oh, uh, Don Juan Stiletto del Guerilla. He was a dreadful fellow, the terror of all Paris, where he was staying when I was also there. Well, one evening, it was at the King's Fancy Ball, this Portuguese fellow gave himself such airs that there was no bearing him. He insulted all the gentlemen, and smirked at all the ladies. At length, the Archbishop of Paris, who was in full canonicals, appealed to me to put down the insolent Italian. I undertook the task, and picked a quarrel with him in no time. The ladies all looked upon me as one devoted to death, and though I say it who shouldn't, a great deal of tender sympathy was shown towards me. Well, Next morning, me and the German met on the very top of Montmartre, and in a quarter of an hour, 
my gentleman was weltering in his blood. That affair won for me the love of the beautiful Countess of Dunkirk. But she has gone down to the tomb, and I am left behind to mourn her loss. And Mr. Frank Curtis took a large bite of a muffin, doubtless to subdue the sigh which rose to his lips at this sad reminiscence. "'Be the holy poker! It's a touching business!' cried the captain, who had by this time fully seen through the mendacious braggadocio of Mr. Frank Curtis, and had come to the conclusion that he was as great a coward in reality as his uncle. But the gallant Captain O'Blunderbuss did not choose to suffer the young gentleman to perceive that he understood him, as the whisky was too much to his taste to allow him to lose the chance of emptying the bottle by a too precipitate rupture. Frank, firmly believing that all his fine stories were taken as gospel by his visitor, rattled away in his usual style, heaping lie upon lie, at such a rate that had his falsehoods been mountains, the piling thereof would have outdone the feats of Titan with Ossa and Pelion. At length the captain began to thrust in a few words edgeways, as the contents of the bottle got lower and lower. "'Your uncle, Mr. Curtis, seems a nice old gentleman. His face was rarely plastered this morning, as if he'd been in the wars a trifle or so. "'Perhaps his wife had been giving him a taste of her claws,' said Frank, with a coarse giggle. "'Be St. Patrick! And that's just what struck me!' exclaimed the captain. "'She's a very devil, I know,' continued Frank. "'But I say, old fellow, what little business was it that took you to old Sir Christopher's and made him refer you to me?' "'Is it the little business?' cried the captain. "'Oh, and be Jesus! Then it's just that affair of my friend Mortant, who means to shoot Sir Christopher to-morrow morning before breakfast. Shoot Sir Christopher! ejaculated Frank, apparently more surprised than annoyed. Or else just get shot himself by the powers, added Captain Lunderbuss. And because it's myself that's Mortant's friend, Sir Christopher has referred me to you as his friend. "'Then it's a regular duel?' asked Frank, opening his eyes wider and wider. "'The purtiest little affair I ever had a finger in, Mr. Curtis,' responded the captain, now looking tremendously fierce, for although he had imbibed at least a pint of pure spirit, without experiencing the least inconvenience in respect to his brain, the effects were nevertheless apparent in an awful rubicundity of countenance.' The purtiest little affair, certainly, he continued, and it now only remains for you and me just to settle the place, time being, of course, in the morning at eight. And do you mean to say that my old uncle has agreed to fight this duel with Captain Mordaunt? inquired Frank. Be Jesus, it's for you to bring him to the scratch, Mr. Curtis, or else... "'Or else what?' demanded the young gentleman, oppressed by a vague presentiment of evil. "'Or else, be the holy poker, you must fight me,' returned Captain O'Blunderbuss, twirling his moustache in the coolest and calmest manner possible. "'Fight you?' ejaculated Frank, 
turning ashy pale. "'As a matter of course,' answered the captain. "'A famous duellist like Mr. Curtis can't be at a loss on a point of honour. "'But why the devil should I fight you?' demanded the young gentleman, his heart palpitating audibly. "'Why the devil shouldn't you?' vociferated Captain O'Blunderbuss. "'Answer me that, my friend.' "'My dear sir, it's really—I mean, you—that is to say, I think, with all due deference,' stammered Frank, growing every moment more and more alarmed. "'But, Jesus, I've said nothing I don't mean to stick to!' exclaimed the martial gentleman, now assuming an expression of countenance so fierce that Frank Curtis began to have serious misgivings, that his visitor intended to assault him then and there. "'But, my dear captain, this proceeding,' said Frank, assuming a tone of excruciating politeness, "'is going on beautifully, Mr. Curtis, and so, as you seem to have a little delicacy in putting yourself too forward in the matter,' continued the captain, "'we'll just say, Battersea Fields, to-morrow morning at eight o'clock, Goodbye, Mr. Curtis. With these words, the captain took up his hat and stalked majestically out of the room, banging the door violently after him. Frank Curtis fell back in his bed and gave vent to his feelings in a deep groan. The door opened again with a crash, and the captain thrust in his inflamed visage, exclaiming, You'll remember, Mr. Curtis that I should be responsible in this matter, and that if you can't bring the uncle to the scratch, you must come yourself, or be Jesus, I'll be after you to the ends of the earth. The head was withdrawn again, and the door once more slammed violently. Frank Curtis gave a hollow moan, thrust himself down in the bed, and drew the clothes over his face as if to shut out some dreadful spectre from his sight. End of section 63